thank you for being here for our third segment of uh, our series in Philippians. Uh, tonight, what we're going to look at is uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And uh, if you have your notes or you want to follow along on the screen, this is what Paul writes. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of the Father. Now, Paul, once again, he's writing from a prison cell in Rome, some 800 miles from the church at Philippi. He is chained to a Roman prisoner. But yet, Paul, in his uh, pastoral way, he is uh, concerned, he's praying for the spiritual development of his people that are so far away. Um, it's one of those things that uh, every pastor kind of um, strives for, to be a pastor that not only can articulate the word of God, but a true shepherd who loves the people of God. And Paul so beautifully models that in so many different ways. Uh, tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on verses 3 through 11, but primarily what we're going to talk about is the fact that Paul remembers his people in prayer. Um, now, as we look at Paul's prayer, we're going to kind of break it down tonight in the different areas in which he prays. But as we look at Paul's prayer, we realize that in, in modern day, there are thousands of uh, different prayer models or methods that you can adopt into your own spiritual life. Uh, I think I put a couple of them in your notes. Uh, some of you are aware with the ACTS model, uh, which is an acronym for, you know, when I go into worship, or excuse me, when I go into prayer, I'm going to begin with adoration. And then after adoration, I'm going to move on to confession and then thanksgiving and then supplication, which is, you know, presenting my needs before the Lord. Um, there's an incredible book written by Dick Eastman years ago, probably a couple of decades ago. Um, and uh, he formulated this chart that basically focuses on a prayer model in which you can pray for an hour a day. And in this prayer model, uh, he gives 12 different sections, and each of those sections are five minutes apiece. So the sections are, he says, to first begin with praise and worship. Uh, then he talks about waiting before the Lord, then confessing our sins before the Lord, cleansing the temple within, uh, then praying scripture, then watching or, or just waiting to, to hear what the Spirit of the Lord may be saying intercession, which is where I pray for the, the needs of the people around me, then personal petitions where I present my needs to God, thanksgiving, song, meditation on the word of God, then listening for what the Lord may be saying again, and then rounding it out with praise and worship. And so he creates this beautiful model. Um, the trouble with a model like that is that 
um, you know, five minutes goes pretty quickly in most of these uh, scenarios. And so uh, you may have to configure your own kind of chart. Uh, finally, you know, in your notes, and again, there, there are thousands, literally thousands of models that you could uh, look into. But the model that I've used for, for over a decade now is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us uh, of our sins as we forgive those that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, daily bread, all this stuff. So this is how this model kind of breaks down. The first thing we're doing is acknowledging who God is, our Father who art in heaven. We're acknowledging that I am human, that I am man, that although I'm made in the image of God, I am not God. And so I shift my attention from self onto God. Um, the next segment focuses on pure worship. I'm going to worship the Lord for all of his goodness. Uh, the third level is a, a heart of submission, a surrendering of the will. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Then I go to the Lord with my personal needs or the needs of those around me. I ask for God to forgive me. Um, and then I ask God to uh, prevent unnecessary temptations from coming in my life to protect me and my family uh, from sin and from evil. And then I, I finish it off with, with praise and worship. I've used that model for, for a, a really long time, but it's a really, really uh, great model. Now, I said all that to kind of tee us up to say this, that Paul is basically saying, listen, pray however you want to pray. Whatever model you want to, just pray, right? Paul in, in his you know, in some of his letters, he's talking to some of the people and he's just saying, listen, if I can just get you to pray for three minutes a day, it'll work. All right. Just pray. Okay. But he's saying no matter what model you use to pray, that there's so much seasoning that can go into prayer if you will just commit to it. So for instance, if you take the model that I use with the Lord's Prayer, you may be praying for the forgiveness of your own sin. And as you begin to pray towards that, all of a sudden, it's like your soul begins to splinter in all these different directions. You realize that there are temptations that are in your life that you had no idea were temptations in your life. There are uh, small sins that the, more the Lord may shine light on, or there are things that he may deal with my heart. Uh, there are all these different directions that your prayer life can go. When we find Paul here in the book of Philippians in the opening chapter, what he's doing is he's, he's writing to these people and he's saying, listen, as I've spent time with God, I have my own prayer model, I'm spending time with the Lord, but as I've spent time with God, let me tell you some other things that I'm praying for for you. And then he goes in and he breaks down and he says, I'm praying for this in your life, I'm praying for that in your life. And he goes on, we're gonna go into all that in just a couple of minutes. The first thing I wanna, I wanna call to our attention tonight it, we touched on it a little bit in the last segment, is this, is that Paul prays while he is remembering. He is remembering the people, he's remembering the things that have happened in his time at Philippi. Uh, a few weeks ago, our pastor preached an incredible message, and uh, it was entitled, Someone is Praying for You. And the message was the whole idea um, that there are times in life you have no idea the people that are praying for you. You have no idea. There may be people that pray for you that you've never met. They may know your uncle, sister's cousin's brother, but you have never heard their name in your life. But the Spirit of God may lead them to pray for you for some cause or some reason or whatever the case may be. 
And the reality is that this is a, a great reminder to us that as Paul's writing back to the Philippians, I'm sure there are people at the church in Philippi who thought it's been 10 years. We haven't really had any true time with Paul in 10 years. But to receive word back from Paul, where he says, listen to me, for these 10 years, I may not have been with you in person, but I've been with you in spirit. And I've been praying for you. And let me tell you the ways that I've been praying for you. And it's an incredible reminder for us that, that there are people that are praying for us that we have no idea. And furthermore, let me just say this, that there are probably people that you are praying for that will never know that you're praying for them. I have this thing that I've been doing for the past like 15 years. I don't even know where it originated from. I don't know if I felt convicted or just started doing it or whatever. But I pray for celebrities. I know that sounds super bizarre, but I pray for celebrities all the time. I pray for, I don't have like an ongoing list, but when I see people in the news or I see, you know, um, uh, something has happened in somebody's life, I ask God to use it as an opportunity for the gospel. I ask God to save their souls. I ask God to show them the kingdom of God. Uh, I'm, I'm praying, you know, when I see a celebrity die or something like that, I'm asking God for the people around them. Father, may you grant them open eyes to see eternity. Would you show them who Jesus is so that in the midst of tragedy, truth can prevail and salvation and good can come out of this situation. And so it's, it's one of those things, again, I will never know these people I'm praying for, right? And the truth is, is also applies to us. There are people that I will never meet that I know are praying for me. And there are people that you'll never meet. And there are people that you'll pray for that you'll never meet that you're, you're praying for them. It's an incredible thing. It's, it's an intricate network of prayer throughout the kingdom of God. And we will never know until the other side how intricate and detailed, how many people were actually praying for us. And so that's why it's so important. When the spirit of the Lord prompts us to pray, when the Spirit of God like, prompts us to pray for people, even people like we may not even know what they do or where they live or their last name, but if the Spirit of the Lord prompts us in that moment, we need to be obedient and we need to pray for those people. But it's also a reminder for us that prayer is intended to be highly relational. Paul, in his prayer, he's saying, listen, I'm remembering and he's not remembering things that didn't happen. And he's not remembering, you know, only things about himself. He's saying, listen, I remember you. And I remember things that we went through. And I remember how God delivered us. I remember all this because prayer is supposed to be relational. Not only with our Father in heaven, but also with other people. It's so important that we learn to humanize our prayer life, right? It is so difficult, or, or excuse me, it's not difficult for our prayer life to become so systematized. And listen to me, I've been there a million times where it's just, I'm checking the box, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to get through. Lord, it's, it's a difficult, it's a long day. I'm just trying to get through, right? I've been there a million times. But it's so important that, that we slow the pace and that we humanize our prayer life. That we remember that, that this isn't just a deity, that this is a father, and I'm a son, and I'm trying to connect my heart to his heart. And when I pray for people, I'm not just praying for blank faces, but I'm praying for people who have an eternal soul, and I'm praying for people that have a family, and I'm praying for things that are greater than what I can even possibly imagine. And so um, I remember one time I was listening to the great revivalist, um, uh, Steve Hill, uh, he kind of pioneered the, the move of God at Brownsville. And I remember one time listening to him 
he was talking about visualizing prayer. And he said that when he would go to prepare to preach to people in congregations or whatever the case may be, that as he prayed that God would send souls into the kingdom, that he didn't just say, God, send souls into the kingdom, but he would say, God, send souls into the kingdom, and then I would visualize men and women standing from their seat and rushing the altar. I would visualize that, and when I visualized that, my heart became one with that idea. And so it's important that when we pray, we're, we're human when we pray, but we also can visualize. You know, when we talk about our children, this Sunday, um, I, I'll be filling the pulpit, and uh, I want to talk to the church about what parenting post-pandemic looks like. And man, can I tell you, when, when we pray for our children, we, we don't just need to pray in general general for their protection. God is going to protect them. as we've, But man, I want, to, I want to visualize the angelic host of God surrounding my children. When I pray for my children to, um, to you know, be filled with the Spirit of God, I don't just want to ask for that. I want to envision them being filled with the Spirit of God. And in some way, what that does is that causes faith to arise. It causes uh, something within us to stir. And so it's important that, that we recognize that Paul is remembering and he's humanizing this, this prayer that he offers. Number two in your notes, very quickly. Paul prays for the people in Philippi, and when he begins to pray for them, he prays for their love. Okay? Now, what, what do we know about love throughout Scripture? We know that God is love in 1 John. We know that God loves us. We know that God has given us the ability to love him back, and we know that God's given us the ability to love other people, even difficult people, right? And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, listen, I'm praying that your love will abound, that it will grow and grow, and it's this idea of an ever-growing love, a love that has no capacity, a love that has no boundaries, a love that continues to grow. Um, the reality is, is that there are some things that you and I, we are limited in our human capability, right? There are some things that I can do with skill because I've learned a skill or I've been gifted in a certain way, but I am always going to have boundaries to that, right? There, there are certain things I'm always going to have boundaries on, but I am never bound to love, my love has no capacity, it has no end line, it has no um, you know, uh, uh, place where it ends, it's ever growing. We can all uh, never outgrow love. Uh, my five-year-old, Emery, she's about to be six. Um, she's what I like to call the feisty one. Um, she's the kind of have one daughter that will, you know, they're, they're about the same age, and one of my daughters, she will patronize you right? She'll, or patronize you, I guess. Um, you know, if you go to her, hey, and you start talking to her, she'll, hey, you know, even if she's having a bad day, she'll just kind of engage or whatever. But my other one, if she's not having a good day, you're going to know it, right? And she may cut you. I don't know, okay? You just never know. She's, she's a little feisty. And there are days where I can go to her and just love on her and kiss her and different things. And, and she'll just kind of, you know, wipe that away and kind of smile at me as if she doesn't need my love and affection, you know, and just, just so I remember, dad, you know. But the reality is, is that within half an hour, I may be sitting on the couch, who's the one coming to snuggle with me? Well, it's her, right? Because she can say all she wants. I don't, I don't need that kiss. Oh, she needs it. She needs love. Why? Because we, the way that God has wired us, 
is that we have no end to the level that our love can grow. Not only do we need love, and our love tank can never be completely and finally filled, but we can give love in a way where it's never exhausted. And so this is what Paul is praying for for his people. Number three, what he's praying for is he's praying for their knowledge and their depth of insight, okay? Now, I need to pause here, and I need to do a little bit of teaching just so you understand where I'm going the rest of the time. Um, For the rest of these points, numbers three through seven, some theologians believe that what Paul's writing about is he's saying, um, when I pray for you to have knowledge and depth of insight, some scholars would say that Paul is talking about their depth and insight of love. He's saying, I want you to learn more about love. That's what some scholars would say. Other scholars would say, no, he's not talking about love at all. He's talking about, he just wants them to grow in general knowledge and general revelation and general insight. And so what we're going to do for the rest of our time here on these last few points is we're going to talk about both scenarios. So for instance, this request that Paul's making may be a request for a deeper knowledge of love in this sense. He may be saying, listen, I want you to understand love at a different level. I want you to understand there's a difference between puppy love and marital love, right? There's a difference between loving a cheeseburger and loving your child. He's saying, I want you to grow in this capacity. I want you to learn what it means to be a daughter of the most high God that he treasures you and he loves you. Paul may be saying, I want you to grow in that type of understanding of the love of God for yourself and other people. Or Paul may be saying, listen, I want you to grow in a deeper knowledge and understanding just in general. I want you to learn more about the nature of God. I want you to understand the character of God more. I want you to grow in wisdom. I want you to look at creation and see the handiwork of the Lord. He may be saying one of those two things. So we're just trusting over these next few that the spirit of the Lord may speak to you about which of those he may be having in your life. Number four, Paul is also praying for discernment. So as Paul prays for discernment, again, it may be related to love. And this is what I mean by that. There are times where your love and compassion may drive you to be very generous to a person. Let me give you an example. You may be riding downtown on Assembly Street, and you see a homeless person on the side of the road. Well, you've then got to make a decision because you're compelled by love. I need to do something for that person. And so you go and you decide, you know, do I, do I go and do I give them money or do I go buy them a meal or do I go home and make them a meal and bring it back to them? Paul may be saying, listen, uh, I need you to begin to discern what God is leading you to do. He's called you. He stirred your compassion to love that person on Assembly Street, but you've got to discern what that looks like in the outcome, right? And so he may be saying, as you go to love people, you need to be able to discern, how do I love this individual the way that God wants me to love this individual? Do I love them in this manner or do I love them in this way? It's what pastor would call um, the difference between being led by a burden and being led by the spirit, right? So when, when we're, we're stirred with that compassion, well, that's a burden. I need to care for this person. I need to love this person. They're clearly down on their luck. They really need some help. That's being led by a burden. But being led by the Spirit is hearing what the Spirit says about how I minister to that person. 
And maybe Paul's saying, listen, you need to grow in your discernment based on how you love, which way you should love different people in different scenarios. The other way Paul may be saying, I want you to grow in your discernment is just in a very general sense. He may be saying, listen, you need to grow in your discernment because job opportunities are coming your way and you need to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. There are things and friendships and people that are gonna come into your life and you need to know and be able to discern who's safe and who's not safe. You need to be able to discern those types of things. Um, this is a work in progress for, for all of us, I know, on so many levels. Um, I remember a few years ago, I got a phone call from a church out in Oklahoma. And uh, they were wanting my, my wife and I to move out there. And um, it was, um, you know, a, a great situation. It was an ideal, you know, I mean, it was, it was everything. Um, and as I was interviewing, I was on the phone with, with the pastor, um, as I'm, I'm praying, I'm trying to discern the will of God and all this kind of stuff, the pastor made one statement. And it wasn't even a bad statement. He's not a bad guy. They, I mean, the church is like 10,000 now or whatever. I mean, God is blessing them, obviously. It's, you know, everything's good. But when he said this one statement, it's like my discernment meter just went. And all of a sudden, I was like, I know now. And so I just told him, I said, man, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Uh, I feel like God has us where we are. Thank you so much. He tried to talk me out of it, but it was done. It was done because I had, uh, you know, just in that moment, I felt like the spirit had spoken. There was another situation where I was moving. I was interviewing in another church in South Carolina, Columbia on Bush River Road. And I remember I was having a conversation with somebody and I was really struggling. It was a very dark time in my life, just struggling, trying to discern the will of God. And I remember one person made one statement. And when they made that statement, it was like the discernment. I, I just knew. I knew this was the will of God. And so I'm not saying that we just need to discern the bad things in life. I'm saying sometimes we need to discern what's good, what's right, where, where is the spirit leading? And sometimes that's very, very difficult. And so as an apostle, Paul is saying this, listen, my people, I want you to grow in discernment. I want you to ask God to give you a greater measure of discernment in your lives. And hopefully, as you do that, things will just seem so much more clear as you mature and, and things go on. And I'm going to tell you, listen to me, we, we, need, we need discernment in the house of God. I want to say, of course, I live in this generation. I want to say more than we ever have, you know, in history. Um, I'm going to tell you, you do a study of the New Testament teachings that teach against false teaching and to be able to discern what someone is saying, whether it's inspired by God or inspired by man or, or darkness. And, and I'm telling you, there's this thread throughout the whole New Testament from Jesus to John and Revelation is to be able to discern right and wrong teaching. And I'm telling you more than, than in any time in my lifetime, we need to be able to discern what's filling our ears. We need to be able to discern the teaching that we're allowing to make sure that it's rooted in the word of God. It's so vitally important that we be able to do that. Number five, Paul prays for their integrity. Um, this request, again, he may have been asking that they have um, integrity in how they love one another. He may have been saying, listen, I want your love to be pure for one another. 
I don't want there to be any type of perversion. I don't want there to be any weirdness. I'm asking God to give you integrity in how you love one another. When you give a holy kiss, that is really a holy kiss, okay? Um, Understanding what it means to love one another as brothers and as sisters in Christ. He may have been praying that God would give them integrity in how they love one another, or he may have just been praying in general that God would strengthen our integrity, that we could be people that live with the blinds up, that we could be people that have a good work ethic, that we could be a people who have godly character, that when we say it, that people trust that it's gonna be done. He may have been praying in that way, but what we know is that he was praying for their integrity. Number six, Paul prays for their fruitfulness. As he's praying for their fruitfulness, it may have been, again, are you following the trend? It may have been that he was saying, God, I want you to make their love fruitful. I want you to, you know, when when they go to love people, I just want compassion to abound. I want their care and their concern to to just kind of overflow in their lives where it spills out on other people. And when it touches the lives of other people, more fruit begins to grow. God, I want your fruitfulness to touch their lives through love or Paul may have just been talking about fruitfulness in a general sense. He may have just been saying, look, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to do good things. I want you to have right motives. I want you to strive for the fruits of the spirit. I want you to grow in love. I want you to grow in self-control. I want you to grow in your generosity. I want to see you grow in your fruitfulness so that when Jesus Christ appears, you don't show up empty-handed. So Paul may have been praying for their fruitfulness in that. But regardless whether Paul was praying for all of these things related to how they love or whether Paul was just praying for them in general, the truth remains this. Paul wraps it up by praying for their lives ultimately to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And I would say for all of us, as we look through all of these things, and I pray all of these things over us as a church family, and I pray that regardless if it looks like this or if it looks like that, if it's all about love or if it's about something in general, that when the day of Christ does appear, that none of us would show up and not have anything to offer the king. That we would show with uh, overwhelming fruitfulness because God has been working. We've allowed God to work in our lives. And that is exactly what Paul is praying for his people. So may the Lord give us all increases in every single one of these areas. And as it comes to our attention, may we pray for other people that these same things may come to fruition. Amen? Amen. Father, tonight, I thank you for the word of God. So beautiful and so powerful. And I want to pray a special prayer, a blessing over your people that are here tonight, over our entire church family for sure. Um, But over those who will watch or listen to this. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would help us all to be people of remembrance. People who remember the good work of your spirit in our lives and the lives of other people. That you'll help us to be human to be able to touch you with our hearts, to be able to touch other people with our hearts, that you would cause our love to grow more and more 
Lord, I just pray for an ever-increasing measure of your love to fill every one of our hearts, that it would be evergreen, that it would be never-ending and never-stopping in its growth. And I pray, Lord, that you would increase our knowledge and our depth of insight and understanding on every single level. I ask, God, that you would give us the gift of discernment, that, Lord, we could discern right from wrong, good from evil. Um, not only that, but, but the difference between something that's good and something that's God. I just pray for a, a strengthening in our discernment as a church family. For the integrity of our love and in every other level, God, please give us more integrity. Help us to be people of fruitfulness, Lord, that when we show up on that day, that we can stand so tall and so grateful as we give you all the glory that you deserve. And so God, I bless your people. I thank you for your people tonight. In Christ's name, amen, amen, and amen. <laughs>